Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, Zhang Yimou goes to court in China, Wing Wang turns his eye to Japan, and Hello Kitty takes on Hollywood. Paul is going to talk about the animated prequel, Minions. This is East Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, They'd be full of it. And welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me once again from his very own Hall H is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello there, Paul. Um, yeah, I, I'm surrounded by like all these imaginary fanboys because I, I guess I have like an announcement that's like bigger than anything DC and Marvel has to come up with, like mm. combined. Indeed, um, I have not I have not decided what that thing is, but I will come over sometime in the next year because I guess Comic Con's over now, right? Yeah, yeah it's so over. it's over. It's, it's, but, it's uh, over. Damn, we damn will it. wait with anticipation for that announcement. Yes, yes the and, panel uh, will be uh, will be will be three hours long, and it will have fifty trailers of everything that you wanted to see. They've been waiting to see for for I don't know ten years. Yeah. Things you didn't yeah. know you wanted to see. Exactly, <laughs> all the fanboys will. Uh, Oh, I, I can't use like ejaculation yeah. term, right? On as you gotta put uh. a label <laughs> on. You put like an e label on iTunes if I say okay, yeah, okay, yeah, some it. something along those lines, yeah. All right, uh, yeah, it's like the uh, what was it? A Donald Rumsfeld's old famous quote of the known unknowns and unknown unknowns, right? We just don't know what you're gonna come up with, uh, and we don't know that we don't know, and maybe that's a good thing. I don't know, but do your imaginary fanboys have a imag- imaginary bo too? Does that uh, go along with the the vision? Box office? <laughs> no, oh, is that bo? Yeah, we're talking oh, convention um, bo. Oh yeah, um, yeah, man, like you wouldn't, yeah, like you wouldn't believe, man. <laughs> yeah, we are definitely in that time period here in Hong Kong where you step onto the MTR and uh, you kind of wish people knew and understood the power of deodorant because uh <laughs> not everybody is as well versed in the etiquette of uh, deodorant and anti- antiperspirant although antiperspirant it is kind of useless here uh it's sad to say but um deodorant is, is is a much needed commodity here in the hong kong sar um but yeah we're you know comic-con uh san diego comic-con was um just this past week weekend i guess at the time we're recording this a lot of big things coming out of it. Nothing we really want to talk about too much in terms of formal news. We'll get to our formal news in just a minute. But, you know, a couple of the bigger things to come out of it, uh, mostly trailers. I mean, this is sort of the big thing now that uh, comic book conventions have become known for. If Movie you've trailers. Se- I yeah, mean, if you've, I, it's I ironic. Understand. If you've seen the um, uh, Morgan Spurlock's uh, documentary on Comic-Con, you know, one of the things he kind of focuses on is a couple of the comic book dealers who have a very difficult time, you know, making ends meet. And, and it's, you know, this thing that used to be about comics has now gotten so much 
bigger as sort of a marketing machine that comics kind of get pushed to the side a lot of the times. Um, and yet now it's like the big things that tend to come out are these big, you know, celebrity panels and what's the big surprise, you know, what's going to be the one more thing that gets thrown out there. And more often than not, it's some kind of surprise trailer. So we actually had three, um, well, two surprise trailers and then one sort of behind the scenes that made the big news. Uh, have you seen all of these, Kevin? Do you know what these are? Um, was it Suicide Squad yeah. and uh, and um, um, Batman vs Superman? Hell, actually, it's kind of interesting that for a while it was just movies, and then you know it was comics, and then just movies, and now it's all comic book movies. So it's almost like it's kind of returned to what it what it originally was supposed to be in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, but a different medium almost. Yeah, sure, know? sure, but it's still comic book movies. I mean, it's like Deadpool and Suicide Squad and Batman and Superman and Ant-Man and Marvel. It's like, but they're all movies, but at least they're comic book movies. Yeah. So it's kind of like they return to that, that route. And I think that's that to me, that's a little interesting. To some extent. we Of course, the one of the bigger uh, leaks slash releases was the uh, sort of a behind-the-scenes look at... Star Wars Episode Seven, where they're really trying to sort of play off on some of the nostalgia aspects, I think, you know, by uh, highlighting the fact that they're doing a lot of, you know, they're building actual sets and they're doing a lot of prosthetic work, and you know, in sort of a return to um, the, the foundations of the original trilogy. And this has a lot of people excited. I know that I'm excited, but I'm also still a bit hesitant because... I mean, I think it's great that they're kind of going back and touching on the nostalgia and, and, and going back to the old school way of doing things. But still, this is the guy who kind of took Star Trek and, you know, threw it into a time loop and uh, destroyed Vulcan and did a lot of things with the two movies that have been done so far that made a lot of sort of Trek purists a little bit uh, unhappy, we might say. So I'm still, uh, I have a little bit of trepidation um, you know, I'm excited, but I'm I'm also a little bit cautious. Um, I don't want to get uh, you know too too over the moon just yet, as it were. Um, did, did anything else excite you at like Comic Con? You've seen all the big trailers by now, right? I mean, you see Superman, you've seen Deadpool, you've seen Suicide Squad, you've seen. I didn't see the Star Wars thing, but I saw everything else. Yeah. So, um, um, you know, I think that actually the thing that I came away from more excited about then before Comic-Con was the Suicide Squad trailer because this has looked like such a mess up to this point um, and there's been a lot of, you know, uh, sort of negative press with Jared Leto who's playing the Joker, you know, re releasing these Vine videos and things and just a lot of, of course, comparison with him to Heath Ledger and, um, you know, then when he sh they, they put out the promo photos of him all sort of tatted up people... You know, even myself, I'm questioning. I mean, you know, this is not the the, the Joker that we're used to. Um, but a couple things that I did see excited me. It looks like that they're firmly placing this within the Man of Steel universe. So there's going to be some crossover connection. You do see a couple shots um, of Batman in the trailer. And so Batman is going to be, he's not a... a, a a leading part in this story but he's going to be a part of the story and this is from what everybody's saying now the ben affleck batman um from man of steel now whether we'll actually see ben affleck or we'll just you know bruce wayne um in the suit or we'll just see a guy you know in the bat suit that we're going to see in man of steel man uh not man of steel um superman versus batman 
uh, Batman versus Superman, which I, I keep getting it transposed, confused. Um, whichever one it is, uh, we're, we're going to be seeing uh, apparently that bat suit and that Batman. So um, also, if you've seen the uh, Batman versus Superman trailer, uh, one of the quick sort of shots that comes across is a, a, a Robin suit with some graffiti written on it. I didn't see that. Wait, you didn't see? You didn't see? I that? didn't spot it. Yeah, I, I... you need to go back and look because there's there's a there's a thing about family uh, that's going on, and apparently there's a connection uh, again here too. And for those of you who know sort of uh, your comic book history, uh, this is a pretty interesting thing that they're doing with uh, the building of this connection between characters from Suicide Squad and and um, what's going on in the Batman v Superman universe. Still, that movie also seemed like a bit of a mess, so they've got a lot of stuff going on. We got our first look at Wonder Woman, and there's still stuff we haven't seen. I've heard that Doomsday is supposed to be in this. I've heard that uh, Aquaman's supposed to be in this. I don't know if those are, uh, you know, if, that's tr- if there's any truth to that, but it just seems like they're packing a lot into this movie um, it's gonna be like a three and a half hour movie right it's like the watchman of dc Comics. yeah you know i'm kind of worried because um you know i'm reminded of uh, spider-man 3 the toby Maguire run where they just packed so many villains and so many things into that it just became a little bit overwhelming and a lot of people didn't like it um, it, so. it, it was it was the dancing yeah, the dancing too. It, the, it was the, the dancing. emo dancing of course didn't help yes sorry it was a dancing. so yeah so a lot of interesting stuff coming out of um uh, Comic Con. Uh, I think we've talked about the the whole problem I have with cons today is they're just too darn big. Um, I, a couple of my friends are actually went to San Diego Comic Con, so I was seeing some update reports from them. But a lot of it was you know waiting hours upon hours upon hours to get into a single panel, and then of course you get these leaks of videos. And and one of my sort of points of contention is I really wish that the producers or the people involved would come up with sort of a um a a kind of process a procedure where they say okay we're going to show this first to the comic-con audience we know that some people are going to try and sneak really crazy you know angle videos to try and get you know get this put out there and put it up on the web so we're just gonna you know make it so that they don't have to bother doing that we'll put it up within an hour or two hours of the premiere that we when we show it um, at the panel, um, because yeah, it's you know some some of these you you, you kind of watch them and re- it's really bad shaky cam, and then you know the site will put a watermark on it because they want to be like the first you know to show this news, and you, you know we're going to get an official trailer anyway, so why not just do it uh, within a few hours of the day of that premiere anyway? But actually, if you were if you spent hours in line in, in San Diego and you finally sit down. And then you realize the video you just watched that was promised to you as an exclusive ends up being on the internet an hour later. Well, how, I mean, how would you feel? Well, so see, I but, kinda... but, but see, that's already happening. So I think one of the things that will do is it'll cut down on the need for people standing in line. The, the, the halls are going to fill up anyway because people want to go in and see the celebrities, right? They want to get in line and they want to ask the questions. Um, although I don't know if you want to ask a question to Brian Cranston anytime <laughs> in the near future if you've seen that response. That was funny. I, I don't know. I, I think that um, comic book geeks are more inclined to find things to complain about. And I think they kind of enjoy the elitist 
or the elitism that that they they get the, that feeling they get when they get to see something exclusive before everyone else. You know, the whole point of seeing movies at midnight, right? Um, so I, I I think that there the, the studios would hear a lot of you know. But then again, actually, you're right. Maybe the Batman trailer came out and no one really complained. That one came out without any well anyone you know sending out a pirated version you know warner brothers just automatically sent that out within like hours of it premiering and no one complained about that so maybe you're right i'm not you know i mean it, it, if you do it you know within the same day a couple hours you know maybe even four hours later five hours later six hours later you know half a day later or something um you give the bloggers who manage to get into the panel a chance to write about it and to say what they saw and to to get people excited for looking forward to it you know coming a little bit later that day and then you don't have to deal with you know with the producers going around and trying to put up you know pull down sites on youtube and 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 this kind of nonsense you know you just set the stage that the con is going to be this thing where there will be a premiere you'll get to see it a little bit early if you're diligent and you want to stay in line but if you don't, if you want to go around and buy comic books and you want to, you know, visit some other panels, you'll know you'll get to see it, a decent copy of it, you know, um, within a couple hours. No, I don't. I just think that's it's a more sensible way to go, um, rather than just you know having to deal with all the sort of shaky cam and. Um, I mean, I think with the Suicide Squad cut, there was a like a team that actually got together and took footage from apparently a couple different recordings to try and patch together a somewhat watchable recording because i know the first one i saw was just and you know it was giving me a headache that it was so shaky and you know it was like at a side angle part of the time and um, you couldn't see much because the, the site had put this big watermark on it and it, it was it was almost not worth watching in a sense well yeah i mean i can understand and actually what i don't understand was why Warner Brothers and DC chose to put up Batman very quickly and why did they have were you know why did they work so hard to try and take down Suicide Squad and yeah, I, I, I think they're still worried about Suicide Squad. I think that that's still a problem because it's it's gotten so much negative, you know, in in the run up to everything so far. Um, the Lido vines, the the shots from the set that were showing Harley Quinn and her costume. A lot of fans came out and were really sort of lambasting the uh, you know what what they were seeing but i think that the buzz around the trailer suddenly got people talking in a different direction uh, a lot more positivity came out and they said hey you know maybe we need to get out in front of this and finally um, get it out there so that people can see it with a little bit more clarity that's just my you know my speculative argument at this point mm-hmm. um but yeah i know that i'm myself coming out of what i've what i saw i mean i expect to be excited about Star Wars, um, I'm still kind of mixed on Batman versus Superman, but I'm more excited now after seeing what I saw in um, the Suicide Squad trailer than I was before going in. So, actually, Star Wars. I mean, you got they. I'm, I'm more interested in seeing the panel than the, the the behind the scenes footage that was shown. I've seen neither of those, but um, yeah, I'm I'm in for Batman. Honestly, that that Batman Superman trailer, it got you know, it actually sold me on it. So I'm ready. All right. Well, uh, that's all of our geek out for uh, San Diego Comic-Con. So uh, we apologize for our our temporary lapse of sanity, if you will. Um, so, yeah, let's go over and talk about some news proper. I'm going to throw it back over to Kevin at the news desk with our official news for this week. Yeah. 
Okay, here at the news desk this week. Um, this week, the or last week actually, uh, the trial between director Zhang Yimou and his former producer Zhang Weiping um, started in China. Uh, I actually wrote a report about this. This file, this lawsuit was filed um, last year, actually, uh, some exactly a year ago, uh, and it was filed by Zhang Yimou against. Uh, Zhang Weiping, who was the uh, his producer at Beijing New Pictures, or actually rather the company Beijing New Pictures, than at Zhang Weiping, but we all know that it's at the producer. Anyway, what Zhang Yimou claimed was that um, he was entitled to one third of the profit uh, for the film A Simple Noodle Story, which um, Beijing New Pictures produced. Um, along with Edgo Films. So um, Zhang Yimou is supposed to get one-third, the company is supposed to get one-third, and Edgo is supposed to get um, uh, one-third. But apparently Zhang Weiping never um, paid him. Uh, and that money is estimated to be about 15 million renminbi. Now, um, the relationship between the two um, have been... They, they went through a very bad breakup, essentially. Um, they were producing partners from 2000 to 2011, um, so we're talking about films like uh, House of Flying Daggers, and uh, I think Hero was late '90s. Was it 2000, Paul? Do you remember when? when what, what year was Hero? Um, yeah, it it was definitely after 2000 because I I saw it while I was over here. So okay, so yeah, so so John Wei Ping was you know this the whole stage where uh, you had Hero, House of Flying Daggers. Um, 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 what's the third one? Curse of Golden Flower, and uh, we're talking uh, all the big budget Zhang Yimo stuff, and we're talking some of the few films that he returned back to himself. And the the final film they produced together was uh, Flowers of War, which everyone knew was such a huge, huge budget film. Um, but after that film, they actually had a very bad falling out, and Zhang Yimo then went to Love Vision Pictures, where he has since made uh. A much more simpler film, uh, Coming Home, which stars uh, Chen Daoming and and Gong Li. So what? Ha- so earlier this year, a um, uh, an author, a writer named Zhou jo- Xiaofeng, who was a literary consultant of, of several uh, Zhang Yimou films, wrote actually like a tell-all book, published a book about um, Zhang Yimou, and um, part of the uh, book is actually about the Zhang Weiping and Zhang Yimou relationship. The book actually accused the producer of not only intentionally misreporting the budget of Flowers of War, uh, it also accused Zhang Weiping of interfering with um, Zhang Yimou's work as like a producer. Um, also uh, accused Zhang Weiping of uh, essentially nabbing the uh, film's distribution rights without any payment. Um, it even accused Zhang Weiping of being the whistleblower for Zhang Yimou's um, what was the thing about you know him having too many kids apparently Zhang Weiping was the whistleblower on that at least that's what the book uh, claims so um, it's a very juicy kind of you know bad breakup story um, the trial started last week they had one day of hearing when um, Zhang Weiping's lawyer tried to claim that uh, um, the, the stature limitations of the case have already passed because the film was made four years ago, so it's too late. But um, I think the court didn't, didn't accept that. Um, Zhang Weiping's company also could not produce proof that it paid Zhang Yimo the money that he was owed. Uh, they don't have any account, the document for the accounts. Um, so the case is still ongoing, and uh, I'm not sure when it's going to be heard again, but I am following the court's Weibo account, so I think we'll find out what's uh, what's happening, hopefully by the next few episodes, and I'll come back and update you guys about this. All right. 
rich people suing each other. It's always good for a laugh. <laughs> All right, what else do you have for us this week? Uh, okay, what else do we have this week? Um, second up, Wayne Wang, the Chinese American director. I'm not sure if you're you're familiar with. Are you familiar with Wayne Wang, Paul? Oh yeah, he's uh, you know he it's did uh, Joy Luck Club and um, he um, I think he did uh, Chinese Box, right? Yes, Chinese Box yeah. and uh, uh, did a few. An excellent film. If you haven't seen it, folks, and you're interested in Hong Kong movies. You definitely want to see uh, Chinese box because it's all about uh, um, sort of the handover and still very, very relevant today with a lot of the themes of identity that are, are played at. Uh, Jeremy Irons, Gong Li, and uh, Maggie. Uh, um, Was Maggie, Maggie Chung? Yeah. Maggie Chung. And also Michael Hoy. And Michael Hoy, that, yeah. Michael Hoy. Great cast. Yeah, um, and I believe he's essentially he was one of the quintessential Asian American filmmakers, and um, in you know, San, based in San Francisco, um, early '90s. You know, he made Smoke, and he also made I think the last film might have been the what was Snowflower and um, Secret Fan. I don't know if you've heard of that one. This oh, the yeah. one that was yeah, a, yeah. the late uh, couple uh, of years ago. Lei Bing Bing, yeah, yeah, Lei Bing Bing, um, and Gianna June. Yeah. Anyway, um, Wei Wei has now actually finally gotten off his whole Asian American Chinese thing and he has made a film in Japan um, the filming has this rat on the film called Wow the Women Are Sleeping um, it is his Japanese, first Japanese language film um, it is based on a short story by Javier Marias uh, it is a psychological drama about um, a 30-ish, 30-something writer who goes to a resort and meets an older man uh, who, who has a very young, young girlfriend and, uh, and a very weird fetish um, that the writer eventually um, gets also kind of caught up in. The film stars Ki uh, Takeshi Kitano. Yes, that Takeshi Kitano as the, the older man and um, also Nishijima Hidetoshi uh, who... Not sure you guys might have seen anything. He's he was in a, a television show called uh, Strawberry Night, uh, a very good cop procedural show um, that was also turned into a film. Um, anyway, he plays the younger writer, um, and the 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 younger girlfriend is played by Kutsuna Shiori. Um, again, more of a TV actress, uh, one that you you guys might not know. But anyway, the film was actually originally a project at the Busan um, Project Market in 2013 when the um, film was supposed to star an English uh, actor, a British actor. At least the, the role was written for a British actor. But uh, according to Wang, at the press conference held in Tokyo over the weekend, um, um, he was introduced to Nishijima uh, in Hong Kong, I think last year, and um, and when he heard that you know he was in interested in the project and also Kitano was interested in the project, he actually changed his mind and decided to um, to uh, move the project to Japan. Exactly, the quote he said was um, actually he was he was making a film in China and um, he finished it and he was he went to Japan and and he was actually looking to do something that was outside of America and China so this seems like um, the perfect film I guess the perfect project uh, so anyway the film filming just just wrapped um, in Japan and I think it will be set for theatrical release sometime in 2016 uh, Paul what what do you think does this sound like something you might be interested in uh, yeah I mean I've tended to like his China focused work so it'll be interesting to see how he does now that he's, uh, you know, moving away from that, um, kind of, you know, moving beyond the element that he's familiar with and, and seeing, you know, it, 
is is he able to to move out of that comfort zone successfully? Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing, Wayne Wayne Wang hasn't, and I hate to be negative, but you know he hasn't really have anything that caught the the critical eye, the the the, the audience um, in the last couple of years or actually the last decade. Um, so it'll be interesting to see him get out of his comfort zone and and see what he does in Japan. Yeah, I mean, I I think he gets a he gets a bad rap. I think because uh, some of the stuff that he takes on tends to be a little be a little bit controversial, just because of the nature of it. I mean, Joy Luck Club, of course, is you know it's a it's based on the the novel. Uh, I think it's an Amy Tan novel, but it's got all this sort of you know uh, the the aspects of gender that get thrown around in there, and, and especially Asian gender. And there's some race issues in there, of course. Um, similar ideas get played out in um, in the Chinese box. But I mean, going back, look at, uh, for example, eat a bowl of tea. Right? I don't know if you've any uh, out there have seen um, uh, that movie. Um, similar ideas. It's got Eric Zhang in it, right? I mean, uh, this is a movie going back to 1989. He brought Eric Zhang over from Hong Kong um, to, to to work in this film with uh, Russell Wong, right? Um, <coughs> So he's all, you know, going back to like his uh, film Chan is missing. You know, he's always work, worked in this area that uh, has always not really been mainstream uh, at the time. I think probably the most mainstream thing he did at the time, I would say, is probably Joy Luck Club just because of the popularity um, of the novel. And while that was, I, I think it was a marginal success. I mean, it went on to get um, like Ming Na Win and. Um, uh, who is the Japanese American actress Tamlin Tamita? You know, uh, sort of, sort of helped launch their uh, careers somewhat. No, Joan Chen was also in that film. Yeah, wasn't Joan it? Chen. Yeah, she played. She one played of, the mother, one, one of the mothers. mothers yeah, um, and also uh, I want to say the, the girl, the lady who does the voice work on Futurama. Ah, oh, I can't remember her name now. Um, <laughs> I don't. Remember. She does Amy on Futurama. Uh, name's escaping me. Uh, Lauren Tom. Lauren Tom. There it is. The uh, thank you, Internet. Um, you know, I, I've tended to like a lot of his work, but then you get stuff like, you know, Made in Manhattan, um, you know, Last Holiday. They're okay. Um, you know, so he, he. Oh my he, God, he did Last Holiday? Yeah, he, you know, he's. a Queen Latifah one. He, yeah, he, and I like Queen Latifah, you know, he, he has attempted to move beyond, um, you know, the, the traditional sort of, um, you know, Chinese American story. But um, he, like you said, he really hasn't, you know, caught fire as a as a super popular director with the stuff that he's done. Snowflyer and Secret, uh, Snowflyer and Secret Fan, uh, we we liked it. It was okay. You know, it's not. I wouldn't say it's the best work he's done. Of course, he's using two popular actresses, one from Korea, uh, one from mainland China, in an attempt to sort of again bridge that uh, international divide and get people in. Um, you know, uh, in, in, in multiple regions, um, probably not as successful as he, he would have hoped, but not a terrible film by, by any, you know, way, shape or form either. Um, so it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how he, how he does here. Oh, a little trivia. He's actually, her, his wife is actually Cora Mao, the, uh, the, the legendary Hong Kong actress. Um, from, uh, she used to start off at Bruce Lee. Who was in uh, Terrorizers and uh, Love in the Fallen City and Boat People? You know, she was huge in, uh, in the eighties. Yeah. yeah. 
so yeah, um, I'm you know I I've tended to like more of his work than not, so I'll, I'll be looking forward to it for sure. Okay, last bit of news uh, this week, uh, Sanrio. Um, I guess any of you with you know fathers with, who has daughters would probably know this company better. These are the people behind Hello Kitty and you know Paul. Actually, do do you have? I only know Hello Kitty and Sanrio. I don't know any of the other characters under Sanrio. And you help me out. Karaoke, the frog. I think there's Pochacho, the dog. There's uh, Dear Daniel. He's kind of like the male version of Kitty. Uh, Bats Maru. I think there's a bunch. Yeah, there's a, there's a ton of them. But Kitty, of, of course, is the most famous. And as uh, a PhD has informed us, PhD student did her PhD dissertation on this. Uh, Kitty is not a cat. Yeah. Oh yeah, actually, yeah. I think I think Samuel confirmed this, right? Yeah, that yeah. Kitty is not. And, a cat. and and a person got a PhD on this. Okay, this is the state of higher academia. They did their research on on Kitty to tell us that Kitty is not a cat. She is a living in a human world. Whatever that means, I don't know, <laughs> but I know this. Her friends are all animals, and uh, my daughter has a set of uh, Hello Kitty. Uh, m- movie slash DVDs. I don't know what they're, they're from the '90s. Hello Kitty and Friends. There's so many series out there. It's hard to keep track. This series that I got her um, is like a series where Kitty reenacts famous nursery stories. You know, it's so like um, in one Kitty is Alice from Alice in Wonderland, and another she's Cinderella in the Cinderella story. Um, and these are all I, I want to say from imported from Japan in the mid mid 90s i want to say um during the time when and the anime boom was you know starting to kick off and hello kitty was gaining in popularity so yes i'm all right then with the character. <laughs> quite familiar and i do have a daughter <laughs> guilty as charged all right no so your daughter might be very happy to know that Sanrio has um now established an american branch an american subsidiary called Sanrio media and pictures entertainment um the entire aim um at least its first project will be the hello kitty feature film uh so the initial investment is about two hundred thousand us dollars but i think they're planning to spend 200 million us dollars on the uh, first animated film to feature the character, like you said earlier, Paul, this is not the first time that Hello Kitty has been, um, you know, acting, quote unquote, in um, other forms. Uh, like you said, there were uh, things like, um, 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 what was it, The Adventures of Hello Kitty or something you said? Well, the one I have is called, uh, it's a series called Hello Kitty and Friends. But Yeah, Hello Kitty and Friends, yeah. There's yeah. another one, There, there's th- this one was sort of like traditional 2D anime-esque. Uh, kind of a thing uh, but I've seen other ones where there's like 3d versions now of um, Hello Kitty and friends and and some other stuffs you know that I guess that's like sort of like the popular thing today um, but I don't think there's been a theatrical movie you know not 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 to the extent like you know Doraemon has a theatrical movie um, every couple of years every um, year actually but I anyway think with Kitty it's year. mostly been like TV series and direct to video stuff yeah, yeah. So this would be the first feature film of the character, and um, I think it would take the next. They would take the next three years to produce this thing because it's still in planning and they're trying to get more investors and stuff like that. But anyway, so is this going to be three um, D or, or like three D animation or is it two D traditional? Have they said? No, 
they haven't said yet this is still in the planning stages so they don't even they, they plan to use american um american talent for this but they don't haven't locked down anything yet they haven't decided or anything yet it's just they've established this company and and they're going to do this project so um yeah this is gonna be free your wait so i think we'll be covering this film uh, this hello kitty film uh, a few more times over the next few years of shows if we survive the next few years and the new year, the nuclear, the nuclear apocalypse hasn't arrived, and we still have a podcast. Yeah, and we haven't all passed away from lead in the water or something, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with it. I know that the trend has been to take traditional 2D uh, cartoons and sort of reimagine them as 3D things, like Scooby Doo, um, Garfield, and I think we've in just a month or so we've got the Peanuts movie coming out, right? And that's sort of a. Uh, I am a, actually very excited, even though I was imagining of that. Yeah, you know, I was never a huge Snoopy fan or anything. I just actually I am very excited about that film. I don't know why. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm curious to see um, what they do with it. So, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, if you're a Hello Kitty fan, rejoice. Um, I just. Do they still have Sanrio stores in the States? I wonder. I mean, I remember in the 90s, they had one in the local mall. And, you know, you'd go in there and um, they had all the stationary stuff. And you could buy the different characters and different sized dolls and everything. But I don't know. Uh, I think it's gone. So I don't know if Sanrio as a, you know, as a uh, pop culture product is still something that's um, very, very popular stateside. I know that, you know, here it's you, you still see Hello Kitty pretty much everywhere. No, I think Hello Kitty is still very popular in the States. Um, but, you know, I guess because we're beyond that age where we could find out and as your daughter hasn't, you know, isn't going to school in, in the States yet, in the States. So I think we're kind of out of touch with, with that popularity. But I think I think Hello Kitty is still fairly popular with, with people, you know, of the young, the young, younger, the youngins, so to yeah. speak. Well, uh, I yeah, think my daughter's kind of moved beyond Kitty. She's um she's much more into Peppa Pig right now from the UK, and uh, it's the I've, British I've, invasion over again. Yeah, British invasion, and I've I've gotten her a little bit hooked on the SpongeBob, but I think I might have introduced SpongeBob a little bit too early because he's kind of a kind of a frantic character. So she might need to wait a little bit more before I give her more SpongeBob. All right. Well, thanks for the news. That's our update for this week. We'll be taking a short musical break, and we'll come back with our review of the animated film, a prequel of sorts, Minions. And we're back. Our film this week, uh, the prequel to the Despicable Me franchise, Despicable Me 1 and Despicable Me 2, and that is Minions. Uh, this story is uh, sort of the backstory of the popular Minions characters. Their ups and downs as they try to find a suitable boss. This is sort of in the pre-Gru era. 
And it starts all the way back from their very inception as sort of single-celled creatures um, and their hunt to try and find a suitable boss to serve. It takes them through time to from a Tyrannosaurus Rex along the way to a caveman to some fantastical bosses such as Dracula and others um, up until they find their um, current boss in the 1960s. Um, they go through a period where they kind of isolate themselves for hundreds of years because one of the problems that happens is they seem to have the terrible misfortune of getting their bosses killed over time. And so they decide to sort of hide away, but they become lethargic without a boss to lead them. And so one minion takes it upon himself, that minion's being named Kevin, to yeah! travel out into the world <laughs> to find a new boss. And to help him on this quest, he recruits Stuart and Bob, and through a series of escapades, the boys make their ways, uh, make their way to VillainCon in Orlando. So it's suitable that we just got done talking about San Diego Comic-Con. And here at VillainCon, they hook up with Scarlet Overkill, voiced by Sandra Bullock, the world's top villain of the era. And this is in the late 1960s, 1968 to be precise, with her eyes set on capturing the crown jewels of England. So this kind of sets up the plot. It introduces sort of this backstory of the minions and that they can't survive without a boss to serve. And these three, um, you know, these, these three resourceful minions decide to go out under the leadership of Kevin to try and find a new boss. <coughs> this uh, gets them ultimately um, from where they're hiding somewhere out in Antarctica um, to the United States in the 60s where they hook up with um, a family of villain wannabes, you might say, uh, who are also on their way to Villain Con. And so this provides a nice little sort of road trip element um, for the first part of the film. And when they get to Villain Con, uh, they become enamored with Scarlet Overkill. And through a series of events, they, of course, eventually end up working for her. So I don't want to give away too much uh, beyond that, but uh, this is a prequel to the Despicable Me series. So this isn't about the central character of that series, which is Gru. Um, and so while this does take place over time, a good majority of it takes place in the late 60s here. Um, the other p issue, too, is that because there's no real central character here, the minions themselves become the central character, a lot of what's going on is in minion speak, right? Which is this hybrid mashup of French, sometimes Latin, sometimes other languages, sometimes just kind of verbal cues or, or body language. Um, and a lot of the communication is either implied or physical, um, depending on your level of linguistic skill. Um, and I think that's part of the problem, unfortunately, with this film, is that while the minions themselves are cute characters, everybody loves them, everybody's, you know, I, I was at the store the other day and they just had this huge aisle of minions merchandise. I mean, people like the minions... Um, there have been a couple, you know, short films produced about them. You see stuff on them, you know, mashups of them all, all over YouTube. Um, and arguably for the Despicable Me series, they've been in one of the most endearing parts. The question is, do they really have the gravitas to carry through a film? And this is where I think some people uh, may tend to disagree. The, for me, I found that lacking a central character for them to work off of, um, which in Despicable Me 1 and 2 is the Gru character, a character who is interesting because he's a villain, but he goes through this series of events that sort of may turn him into an anti-hero. Um, 
the minions are kind of there for comic relief. So even though he's trying to be bad, you've got this comic relief that prevents him from being too bad. Um, you also have the identifiers of the children in the first and second film. Those are also lacking here. So you don't have sort of this neutral party from which for the audience to identify with as they're going on this escapade with the minions. Um, so without this, the, what you tend to get is a lot of sight gags and a lot of sort of physical humor, very much in the framework of, a, say, Keystone Cops. Um, at some points, I was kind of thinking back to things like Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget, you know, he's a bumbler. He tends to get things done, but he bumbles his way through, and this is very often how the minions operate. Um, the difference is that Inspector Gadget, again, has Penny and Brain working for him as sort of the, you know, the, the competent ones, and we don't get that here. So I think that might be a problem for some people. Um, especially for adults who are looking for a little bit more of something to ground them into this film um, that, that exists beyond, you know, sort of the comedic aspects of the minions. Uh, but up beyond that, you've got a solid cast for voice work. You've got um, Sandra Bullock, um, who playing, you know, Scarlet. Um, her husband, a, sort of this character who's kind of like um, her version of of Q, this guy named Herb, he does all the tech for her, is voiced by um, John Hamm. Uh, Michael Keaton comes in uh, in uh, sort of the, as this, the father of the villain wannabes. Um, and and I, actually I thought that that part, um, in the initial part, before, up to when they get to, to VillainCon, I thought was, for me, the most fun. Um, once they kind of hook up with Scarlet, I thought things kind of got a little bit drawn out and a little bit dull. And Scarlet herself, I thought, was a little bit underdeveloped as a character. Part of the problem is I think you'd know she's just a stand-in. And especially with the way they kind of build to the end of this film, if they were going for maybe a longer relationship with her, you know, for maybe a, a trilogy or maybe two films where you get more of a bond with this character, um, maybe I would have felt a little bit more strongly about it. But here, because of the way they portray her, She's not like Gru at all. She's not really endearing. She just becomes, you know, a villain and a pretty kind of flat sort of two-dimensional villain. They don't really even, I mean, she's got an agenda. She's got this whole plot that she wants, you know, the, the minions to help her with. But they don't really get into deep as to why. It's not very nuanced. There's not a, there, there's just not a lot to her. I mean, she looks fancy. She's got this dress that transforms into sort of like this iron suit that lets her fly around. And that's all great, but beyond that, there's just not a lot of uh, depth to her. And we've gotten more depth than the characters um, like Gru and some of his opponents in the first and second film. The other thing here, too, is I think there's a lot of pop culture references and music references from the 60s. Many of these will not be familiar to kids. I think these are put there primarily for the adults. There's a lot of gags that are sort of references to the 60s, too, that it's just, you know, kids are going to be you know, um, it, it's going to bypass them. Maybe they'll look it up on Wikipedia, but I don't think a lot of them will. So there's humor that's there for the adults, but I just don't know if it's going to work as well because, you know, when you look at some of the musical references, I mean, the second film had Pharrell Williams all through it. Um, you know, that's something very popular with the kids today. 
It still works on a very strong sort of uh, pop culture level across the board, across age groups. But here, I don't know. I'm wondering if a lot of the 60s references are just going to be lost and not going to be as popular with the kids. Of course, there's some there's some pretty funny little gags in there for convention goers. I mean, the big hall they go into, of course, is Hall H. Uh, it's in Orlando. There's a gag for Orlando because this is sort of pre-Disney World Orlando, which is really great. Um, and Floridians, I think, will get a big kick out of it. But people who maybe are not from Florida, it'll probably just kind of um, pass them by. Um and perhaps people who are from England will like the humor once it gets to England a lot more. They, they throw a couple barbs at the Queen. There is this one thing that they do that I won't reveal here, which I thought was kind of funny and kind of original, and it kind of took the story in a little bit of a different direction, but then they kind of just quickly brought it back on track. And that's sort of very, you know... Uh, British-centric, you might say. You know, overall, it, it ser serves its purpose. It's the Minions. They're cute. If you've liked the Minions and you've liked the Despicable Me films so far, you'll like this film, but maybe not as much as the others. At least that was, you know, uh, my experience for it. it. As you watch through it, too, there are some cute mid-credit sequences that uh, continue the story on, you might say, that, uh, that are enjoyable. And there's also an extended end credit sequence. So you got to wait all the way to the end of the credits. And there's uh, something there for you as well. And that is then followed by this big ad for Universal Studios, where they're having Minions Mania. So well played, Universal. This created one of the oddest moments I've ever had in cinema-going history. And so normally I stayed in the end, because you never know what you're going to get at the end of a movie today. In my experience is that most people in Hong Kong won't stay. Uh, but in this film, they did. Pretty much the whole theater stayed. So they knew there was going to be something. They stayed, they watched it. And then the, this ad came up, and it was just like a still frame. Uh, you know, this like a poster for this Universal Studios. You know, that went on for, and people were just sitting. Nobody's getting up. And then that went out. And the lights went up, and it's like nobody wanted to be the first person to move because now the lights were up, and it was like everybody was kind of like there's this moment where nobody wanted to leave the theater. It was really strange. I've never had that happen before. Um, and I think it was just because of the odd nature of that last ad coming up and then people thinking, is the ad going to move? Is this part, you know, is this another animated piece or, you know, what's going on? And then when that was gone and the lights came up, everybody's like, oh, everybody's still here, what do we do, what do we do? Because normally people, you know, start filing out pretty early on. So it was a very weird mo weird moment. Everybody, I think, saw the Universal Studios ad. So a piece of effective advertising, I don't know, but it had everybody stuck in their seats even after the ad was gone and the lights came up. So well played Universal for that little bit of end credit advertising. Uh, Kevin. Yeah. What can you say about this? <laughs> you were saying that uh, you know people who like Despicable Me would like the film. I also tell you, fans of Kevin really like this film. People named Kevin will be really proud of this film. Yes, indeed. We never get the he name of the hero, man. I'm just saying. We never get the name of the leader. We never get the name of the main character. We never get the name of like you know the hero. And we, you know, I, I feel like it's a it's a it's a giant leap for Kevins everywhere. Now, come on. You've got, but you've got, you've industry. got so many Kevins working in the industry. You got Kevin Smith, you got Kevin Costner, Kevin Spacey. I mean, come on, you've got yeah. a lot of representation. 
in the cinema. But not not in a way that in a movie like this, because you know, go come on, yeah. everyone, everyone. Every time the the, the the minions chanted Kevin, I I was like, yeah, go yeah. me. Well, you, go you, you you've me. had your day. What have I got? I've got uh, a creepy alien voiced by uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, who did the voice for Paul? Uh, 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 um, crap. Uh, 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 is it Seth? Uh, who did that? Seth uh, Rogen. Seth Rogen, yeah. Is it? Yeah, Seth Rogen. Uh, That's an entire movie name after you. I don't get a movie uh, named Kevin. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be a minion than be Paul the <laughs> That movie was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Did, yeah. Did you, did, did, I mean, being a fan of the minions, did this, uh, were you happy with this? Well, did it meet your expectation? I was I was always a bigger fan of Minions than the Despic- Despicable Me um, franchise. So for me, it, you know, it delivered. Um, I thought it was very cute, very funny. But then the day after that, I saw Inside Out, and it was just like, okay, this is, okay, movies back to like film as an art, you know, rather than just like mm. ha ha entertainment, right? So you know, it's it's a cute little um, diversion, and honestly, I. For me, I think most of the audience in Hong Kong who like these things, they didn't probably didn't watch Despicable Me. Really? Um, I think I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I always thought that they were the cutest thing in the movie, but I think it was the advertising that really hit. The the advertising was much more you know stronger because you know now they've got these cute characters to <laughs> aim at people, not not the big you know grew right. Um, so so Universal actually had a much easier time trying to sell this thing. And since the creators made them to be the comic relief anyway, and just make them do a lot of, um, make them do a lot of cute stuff, and 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 you know you get all the all the all the girls in the seats. But may I, may I if I may go for like the academic approach for one second, um, you do realize these are characters who are essentially slaves, and they're yellow. <laughs> so what are you um, saying? I'm you know, Banan- a, bananas should be. Uh... Should be should be uh, have universal suffrage, right? <laughs> I, I I I'm not saying it's Hong Kong. I'm just saying that it's saying it's possibly saying something about race or exoticizing the Asian culture and you know Asian male and the you know the you know demasculating the the Asian male and turning them into little creatures named minions yeah. and as if like that's what they want us to be you know keep us in chains okay I'm not I'm going too far in this what? but no <laughs> but I you know I, I I love the minions and and I'm sure there's no racial undertones behind these things or there may be and well, even there, then. there is a gender undertone because uh, I read an article that apparently they asked the, the creator why there are no female minions yes or that yes or that yeah, and he said his ba- response was basically along the lines he says well the minions are dumb and I could never imagine uh, a female being that dumb so <laughs> so at least he respects Asian women yeah oh wait that's the same oh oh my god <clears throat> yeah, I went there <laughs> no all right. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, yeah, I'd say, you know, you got kids. It's pretty good for kids. There's a little bit of violence in, in a few places, but mostly it's slapstick. And uh, there is a scene um, in in kind of like a dungeon room that is a little bit intense. Um, they do play around with a little bit, but, um, yeah, you might want to wait for kids to be a little bit older. I wouldn't want to take my daughter to see it um, for a couple years at least. But a uh, solid matinee film if you've liked the other ones, I'd say. Um. Note, um, in Taiwan, actually no one under six can watch this film. 
um, because I think the whole idea is that the whole thing, uh, um, um, it's about these characters who you know steal things and don't get punished. And I guess the whole idea is that they 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 remain bad guys at the end of the film and they follow bad guys at the end of the film. Uh, and I guess some of the innuendo that kind of you know got touchy to censors in Taiwan. So uh, no one under six can actually watch this film in Taiwan. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good age. And the interesting thing too is you know the 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 purpose of the minions too is to find a boss. And this is one of the areas where I think the narrative kind of uh, loses sight of itself uh, because it does make Kevin. Uh, a hero, and by the end, he's like you know, almost a Godzilla, uh, in, uh, a Godzilla-like hero in 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 one instance. And you know, he could, for all intents and purposes, be the leader, be the boss uh, of the minions. He does not. He he's shown he can lead. He, you know, he's shown he can protect the others and and you know uh, be there for the other minions. So it kind of defeats its own narrative in in, in that aspect. But of course fans of the series want to see you know what comes next how does it go on beyond this story and this the character this villain how do they get to you know the one that they know which is of course group but the thing is now that it's broken all sorts of records they can't not make a sequel but the way the film ends is kind of like eh, there's no real room for a sequel there is there not really, which is which is part of my disappointment, which is why I think that it's a shame because treating the Scarlet Overkill character as kind of a one-off was a missed opportunity. I mean, I know that they probably figured, well, we'll just go in with the Minions as one-off, but I think if they would have planned for, you know, two films or a trilogy and, and made that relationship much more important, um, I think it would have been far more interesting and they could have, you know, planned to do much more with it than than what they did um but you know i think it comes down to the fact that again they were probably were thinking that well we just want to set this sort of interim story and if it does well well they'll just you know maybe do the you know further adventures of of the minions you know as as we kind of see happening at the um, during the end credit scenes listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit kongcast.com for more. Well, you have been listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at kongcast.com. We are also on Twitter, twitter.com slash Kongcast. If you'd like to hit us up there, you can email us, drop us a line at eastscreen at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Give us some feedback, things you like, things you don't like, um, you know, something you'd like us to talk about that we haven't talked about. Uh, let us know. We'd be happy to hear from you. You can also drop us a line over on Facebook. We have a Facebook uh, uh, page over there that is uh, East S West S, if I got that right. And uh, we would love to hear from you over there as well. Uh, I do urge you to follow Kevin in all his exploits and what he's doing as he's uh, writing about and uh, rubbing shoulders with people in the industry. So, Kevin, where can people find out more about what you're doing, what you're writing, and what's going on with you? Well, day to day, you can uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm 
at www.twitter.com slash the golden rock that's the golden rock in one word the golden rock um you can also follow my news writing over at film business asia that's www.filmbiz.asia um you can email me at kevin at filmbiz.asia um i'm also on various other social medias um if you can find me um go ahead and try um yeah that's it for now all right so that's good uh good to know and uh check it check him out i i think that he's going to be starting a um instagram pretty soon and there you'll be able to see his halloween pictures of him dressed up as minion kevin right the, 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 the <laughs> Halloween. I didn't realize it was Halloween. I just do that all the time. Overalls and everything, right? Yeah, yeah I just do it all the time, every day. Actually, I look a lot like a minion. You know, I'm actually I look you like too much but not hair. the you get but too not much hair. Actual, yeah, but not the actual Kevin. I'm actually look more like a Bob than a Kevin. I don't know, but you, you, but can, I, you could be a Kevin. You're tall. You're tall yeah, enough. Yeah. Yeah, but Kevin is needs to gain some weight if he's gonna be more like me. <laughs> Just suck in your gut and stand up straight. You, 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 you'll be a fine Kevin. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Our next episode, uh, 168. Is it 168? Yeah. Uh, should be Monster Hunt. Um, the CG epic spectacular coming to us from uh, one of the creators of Shrek, I believe, right? Um, and we're going to be talking about that film. I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's because, uh, you know, we haven't had a lot of local films of late, though I'm a little bit afraid I'm going to be disappointed. But uh, we'll be talking more about that next time. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, saying nobody puts Kevin in a corner. And we'll see you next time. See you next week, everybody.